countdown for blast off. X minus five, four, three, two, X minus one, fire. Welcome to another episode of the Forgot My Dice podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Edwards, and with me, of course, the co-conspirator to my master plan, Mr. Robert Lundgren. How you doing? Hello, hello. I am tired. It has been a long, long day. Yeah, I'll second that. Thankfully, Thanksgiving is coming up at the end of the week, and guess what? I have absolved myself of all things cooking. Because people, because I'm like, I want to do the lazy thing, and other people are like, I don't want to do the lazy thing. Let's do the complicated thing. And I'm like, I wash my hands of it. Then I want no part of it. <laughs> well done, well done. Yeah, yeah. Because they're like, we want to make a real turkey. I'm like, yeah, just get a turkey breast from Costco. It'll be fine. Not only do I get a long weekend uh, this Thanksgiving, but I too am doing no cooking, and I am totally okay with that. That's right. But I cook dinner every night, so it's not like I'm escaping cooking duties. Just that no, That's no, my day I. Off. I, I, I cook I cook quite a bit as well. So, although although I've been a little slacky lately, I should I should uh, I should do some stuff because I've been getting been... adventures. Oh, do tell. Uh, gosh, I've been making all kinds of stuff. I made a honey sriracha chicken the other day. Uh, it was mm-hmm. lovely. I, I breaded the chicken and uh, was it a, a nice. You, you, thick you do sauce. a lot with sriracha and chicken. That's been a reoccurring theme on this podcast. Yeah, uh, I've been on a kick. I made uh, grilled cheese sandwiches with uh, uh, homemade bread that uh, somebody baked for me. Nice. Today. So hold up one, one, one sec, one sec, one sec. So I have found out in my old age that I really shouldn't eat spicy anything after like four or five. Otherwise, I have a hard time sleeping because my, my stomach's all like acidy and unpleasant. And, and no, you don't have that? Nothing like that for me. Oh, man. I, you lucky dog. Because I, oh, oh, man. In fact, the older I get, the more I'm enjoying uh, hot food. Well, that's a hot given. spice food. Because your tongue is old and dead. Yeah, that might be it. <laughs> Just like my heart. Moving right along. As always, let's go ahead and get this episode started with a big old thank you to our patrons over at Patreon. You guys are helping us keep the lights on and the servers humming and all the wonderful stuff that we do on the show, uh, including our mindless banter. Yeah, and mindless is uh, very much what today is with me because I I'm I can not tell you're not clusters. here. I know. I'm trying. You're I'm here, trying. but you're not here. I'm trying to eat something sugary or something that'll pet me up, but man, it is just not working. I, I was here about an hour ago, but then yeah, just somewhere along the line, things started fading, and it's it's. it's yeah, we've all been there. Yeah, we've all I'm, been there. Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to I'm trying to capture my energetic spirit, but it is elusive and slippery, as they all are. <laughs> so uh, last week or last two weeks, last episode, there we go. We mentioned that uh, the next episode after this would be our predictions episode, but I started doing the legwork for that, and Jonathan, do you remember what I discovered? That we need to wait? That we need to wait, because we both made a prediction about the rise of Skywalker, which will not be out by the time we record the next episode. And truth be told, we might have to delay it a little bit further than normal, because uh, it always takes me a while to see the Star Wars movie. Like it usually takes me like well into January, so we might have to have to wait a little bit on that one, so we can both do our Skywalkering prediction well. Yes, doesn't mean we can't do the other half where we make predictions about 2020 sooner, but we'll see how that all pans out. We haven't decided yet. We're still talking. We're still talking. All right, we shall see. We'll figure it out. The only way you'll find out how is to tune into episode 77. 
And 78 and possibly 79. Yeah, there you go. But Jonathan. Yes. Happy National Trick Shot Day. The first Tuesday in December is National Trick Shot Day. It was started by the Harlem Globetrotters. And uh, yeah, film yourself doing a trick shot and hashtag that stuff. World Trick Shot Day. Uh, have you ever seen the Portal Trick Shots video uh, from Corridor? No. You should. You should. It's uh, it's fun. It's fun. If you're you a know fan what? of the Portal video game, it goes right along with the theme. They should post repost that video today when this podcast comes out because World Trick Shot Day. It's it's like a cross promotion. I'll it's tweet at them. I'll see what happens. I promise. See what happens. It's a great video. You'll love it. Okay. 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 All right, then. It's time for our first segment. And this segment is, of course, off the shelf. This is where we talk about all the wonderful things that we've had off of our shelves, onto our tables or TVs, and into our hearts. Perhaps we should rechristen this one off the Disney Plus, because I'm seeing a lot of stuff on your list I recognize, and a lot of stuff from mine <laughs> is from there, too. <laughs> well, only two are from Disney Plus. All of and mine. I've got six, so... All of mine are from Disney Plus, and I I'm have not surprised. Six. I'm not surprised. The kids have been killing the Disney Plus. I know. I know. Same here. Same here. So let's talk about Willow, okay. my friend. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So after I finished watching The Mandalorian, which we'll talk about in a moment, uh, the first thing I saw just right on the front page of Disney Plus was Willow. And I was like, oh, I haven't watched you in a long time. So I popped it on. And you know what? I forgot what a really good movie it was. Eowyn hadn't seen it, and so we, we were saying, oh, this is a great movie, so we uh, forced her to watch it, and she was she was entertained throughout. I think she generally enjoyed it. I'm not sure if she, like, loved it, loved it, but yeah. It's fun. It's fun. Watching it made me remember that I have a uh, character in, uh, I think it was Green Horde, the Zombicide Green Horde game, mm-hmm. that was oh, based Mad on Mardigan. Mad Mardigan. Yeah, 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 that sounds familiar. So I need to now I've kind of I'm incented to go toss it on the table and play with him. Yeah, it's really weird coming back and watching that movie uh, sort of post the nerds one, because like back when we were a kid, you know, if you were a nerd and you wanted to watch your nerd movie, you had you had yourself the willow, you had yourself the hawk, the slayer, you had yourself Krull, and you had yourself whatever. We, uh, we and we mentioned this last time, but man, like. Like there was nothing, and, and all of them are kind of good and they're good air quotes in their own way. But Willow's like actually legit good, you know. It's Ron Howard movie. Well, yeah, and it's it you know it's got good banter and good characters and decent acting. Like you know it's it, it hits all the notes too. it needs to hit. Yeah, yeah. Although although I will say this, as we were watching it, you know what I realized? This might as well have been an Indiana Jones movie. Like the plot stuff, not so much, but all of the gags and and things that happened in between really felt like an it's, Indiana it's, Jones. It's movie. medieval Anna Jones. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll totally agree with you on that one. <laughs> medieval Anna. Hell, that might be a, that might be an episode title right there. <laughs> yeah, you might hit on it early. You bastard! Uh, I know but, it's not even ten minutes in, and we're we're done. We're done. <laughs> Anyway, yeah, I, I was pleasantly surprised, um, and and the effects mostly hold up, save for the uh, the brownies. Some of them looked a little fakey, composited in, but other than that, everything looked pretty decent. No, the whole thing works. I kind of vaguely remember when I was a kid, all the fairies in that one sequence. It was much more clear that they were, you know, little naked people flying around, and not just sort of these like vaguely humanoid shaped balls of light. 
I mean, I might, I might be completely off on that, but I'm wondering if that's one of those Disney Plus edits, much like the. Uh, have you seen Have you seen what they did to the New Hope uh, to the Greedos to the yeah to the scene where Han? No, I need. To, I still need to watch that. I haven't watched that yet. It's so dumb. It's so dumb. So it's like the last version of the scene where they shoot each other kind of simultaneously, but right before they shoot, like he leans in and goes like Manchupa, and they don't even bother to subtitle it, which is like, what is this? And, and and apparently it's something uh, Lucas was working on seven years ago because he couldn't stop tinkering with that scene. Uh, but whatever. <laughs> it's so dumb. Uh, oh, and the outrage. Dude, dude, actually, you know what this episode should be titled and this whole segment? Uh, exquisite outrage on the Internet because there is so much outrage on the Internet about ev- like half the things I want to talk about today. <laughs> no, that's just I'm so done following all that nonsense. <laughs> anyway, anyway. So, uh, I don't know if you know this, I've mentioned it a few times on the podcast, Jonathan, but I am a connoisseur of my favorite type of sci-fi movie, which is the overly long, pretentious sci-fi movie. And Disney took a stab at it with The Black Hole from, I like, love that movie. 1980, blah. It's so strange and such a product of its time, but so much fun. Yeah, it's funny. It's funny how many people saw Star Wars and are like, we should make a sci-fi movie. I know. Let's not copy Star Wars and copy 2001. That's like obviously what we should do. <laughs> Let's make it overly long, pretentious sci-fi movie. You know what's better than action, guys? Existentialism. <laughs> Let's do it, man. I'm feeling good about this. Now pass me that pile of coke. <laughs> no, it has to be weed for overly long philosophical sci-fi movies. That That's a weed thing. That's not a yeah, coke thing. Yeah, I'm going to give you that. I'm going to give you that. Manimal. Definitely the product of Coke. Uh, Carrie Fisher in in all of the <laughs> original trilogy, definitely a product of, of Coke. But yeah, my daughter, she saw it and she was picking on it so much. She's like, oh, the effects are terrible. I'm like, shut up, you. You don't even know. You don't even know what terrible effects are. And these are fine. I've seen worse. <laughs> it, was, it was great. I, I was pleasantly surprised. I thought it held up pretty well. I mean, it's an overly long, pretentious sci-fi movie that doesn't quite make its mark. Like, yeah, that was what I remembered of it from when I was a kid. And that... Yeah. <laughs> there's a certain creepiness to it too. Yeah, Something yeah. Like somewhat unsettling about it. Yeah, I wish I they've been talking about remaking it forever and I I wish they would just have the courage enough to make it like a like a PG uh, like a hard PG-13 and make it really like creepy ghost ship in space, you know? You you know who would be the perfect director for it? If you say Dune guy, I'm going to slap you in the face. Yeah, no, totally. It's it, 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 he would be perfect for it. De, uh, you mean David De, Fincher? Villeneuve? Oh, oh, I De, thought... Oh, you... no, Denis Villeneuve. Villeneuve. Well, maybe. I feel more pretentious just saying it like that. Villeneuve. Yeah, well, regardless, I wish somebody would remake it. Like, there, there's a core of something interesting there. It's just Disney had to make it more family-friendly than it probably should have been. And uh, I really wish somebody would, like, go there. Because, like, it's a... I mean, I don't know what story it's based on, but or if it is even is. But, like, you know, the story of the... The megalomaniac bad scientist and, you know, all of that. Yeah, I don't know. It's a good flick. If you've never seen The Black Hole and you've got Disney Plus, like, and you don't mind being bored because it's a little long and a little pretentious, uh, you know, could do worse. And you'll also get treated to um, the GoBots of droids. Yes. Yes. I love those. And you know what I like about that Star Wars movie? Those droids. So let's have droids that quote Pop's uh, philosophy yeah, yeah, but you only got $10 to make them. That's it. <laughs> That's it. So use whatever you got lying around. Just give it a slap of paint. Yeah, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. And I like, um, it's one of the first movies to use 
a new type of, of special effect, you see they can make effect shots in computers. And there's dozens of polygons, Jonathan, dozens, to render things out. <laughs> I know, out. I know. <laughs> Man, now I need to go watch that. Remind yeah. me this week. I'll watch it. Okay, we'll do. We'll do. We'll talk about it more. So what did you watch? I started watching Dark Matter on Netflix. Dark Matter. What is that? I've heard of that. A uh, bunch of people wake up on a spaceship together, uh, They, but their memories have been wiped, and it turns out they're mercenaries of a sort. Intriguing. Oh, it's based on a comic book. I remember yeah. that. That's why yeah, I've heard yeah, of it. Yeah. Okay. It's fun. It's fun. I'm having a good time with it. Yeah, I remember the comic came out, and we sold it, and I didn't hear anything bad about it, which, if you own a comic book store, is generally high praise. Funny how that works out. I don't know if you noticed this, but, like, nerds can be really hateful. What? If nobody's being hateful, it's probably good. <laughs> and then if you actually hear someone say, yeah, this comic book's pretty good, that means it's like real, real good. And I, I can, uh, the only one I remember people saying that was uh, Saga, people said was really good, which yes, yes it is. And there's another one that people, well, there, there are various arcs that people would talk about that were good. But yeah, I remember Saga was one of the few where a lot of people were coming up and saying, this, this is a really good comic. Have you read it? And I'm like, no, I should. What else have you watched? Uh, oh wait, that was you talking about Dark Matter. Do you have anything yeah. else to say about Dark Matter? No, yeah, it, it's I'm still pretty early on. I'm only a couple episodes in, but I like where it's going. It's uh, it's fun. I mean, you know, it's Stargate SG One fun. It's not Expanse fun. Fair. And I don't say that in a negative way. Just kind of know what you're getting into. So we uh, we were going through the Disney Plus as you do, and I realized that one of the most nightmare fuel inducing movies of my childhood was in there. So, in 1985, Disney, apparently, I guess, I'm not sure. Actually, yeah, it was Disney. Uh, they released the Nightmare Fuel classic, Return to Oz. Oh, 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 oh yeah. <laughs> Starring oh, yeah. Uh, a young, what's her name? Fru, fru, I can't ever. Feruza Balk. Feruza Balk, thank you. Uh, yeah, very young. Very, very, very young. Very young. She's what, 10, 12, something like that? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Oh, man, do I remember that movie. And, and like the Wheelers and, and just. Oh, yeah. No, you got the disembodied moose head. You yeah. The, 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 the Wheelers are absolutely terrifying. The, the jack-o'-lantern guy, friggin' terrifying. He's supposed to be charming, but he's not. There's nothing charming about him. And the Wheelers <laughs> are just downright horrifying. There's some body dysmorphia going on there. I don't know, man. Dorothy clearly having PTSD after coming back. <laughs> you know, like. Because they say it, like she has trouble sleeping, she thinks about it all the time. Like, that's clearly PTSD. Clearly. Yeah. yeah. Well, and then you got all those those uh, uh, disembodied heads in the cabinet. Yeah. Yeah. And the fact is, she wants to go back. There's nothing adorable about that movie. That movie is, is just one two-hour nightmare. <laughs> yeah, and I... I love it. And I love the I love the idea that she was so traumatized, but she wants to go back, you know, because you, you can't you can't escape the war. You have to go back to it. It's some Stockholm syndrome, man. Yeah, it's good stuff. It's good stuff. <laughs> you know, I, I got to be honest with you. I think I feel like I could go the rest of my life without rewatching that movie. That might dredge up some dark stuff from my my past. <laughs> I don't know, man. I feel like there's some there's some eight year old piece of me that's just like if I see that movie, I I might just freak out. Jonathan, I dare you to watch that movie. Ah, you suck. Yeah, remind me this week. I'll watch it this week. Jonathan, I will I will up the ante to a full on double dare. Yeah, just don't let me forget. I'll do it. Okay, I'll do it. If you haven't done it by the next time, I'm gonna get you to a double dog dare. Bring it. 
Okay, fair enough. So what have you been watching? So Jessica and I started watching The Good Place. Yes! uh, Yes! Kristen Bell. Yes! Thank you. I've been telling you to watch that for a while. What'd you think? It's funny. It's fun. I'm glad it's those little, you know, 23-minute episodes because of commercials. Yeah. Because I don't know that it can hold the note longer than that. No, but in those little bites, it's perfect. It's it's hysterical. How far are you in? Uh, like four or five episodes. Okay, okay. Jonathan, no joke. That is probably the most brilliant show I've seen on TV in 10 years. Absolutely no joke. Just keep See, at it. They're still setting everything up. They're still setting yeah, everything up. So yeah, yeah. I'm, 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 you know, I'm not to that point yet. Okay, we'll talk about it next time because it'll happen. And, and, and yes. Yes, we all know. Those of us who've watched, we all know. We all know. I need to get caught up on that. I, I stopped watching in season three, and I know season three is on Netflix now. All right, all right. We're going to come back to this. We're going to come back to this. Once it happens, I, w- I want to know what you think. But anyway, moving on, moving on. So something new, because we've been, we've been reminiscing so much. Uh, my kid uh, was going through Disney Plus, and I was telling her about how much of a fan of like DuckTales and Darkwing Duck and all that I was when Woo! I was a kid. Yeah. And uh, they, re- they rebooted DuckTales uh, a couple of years ago. Woo! And we've been watching it, and that show is surprisingly good. Like I, I yeah, well, it, 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 that's the one with David Tennant and stuff, right? Yes, yeah, David Tennant doing Scrooge. It's amazing. And then, uh, uh, yeah, like uh, almost all the voice actors are pretty famous. Like, or not famous, but they're they're very much. Oh, it's that guy or gal. You know, it's like oh, mm-hmm. like you'll say who they are, and they're like oh yeah, that person. You know, like uh, uh, <laughs> it's sad I, I can't remember her name, but I remember her as the Gooch from uh, 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 what's her name. Uh, what's the show's name? It's uh, JD, Turk and JD, Scrubs. Yeah, she's the Gooch from Scrubs, <laughs> which is a, a, a reoccurring character from the later se- seasons. Uh, she does Webby. But yeah, it's a good show. What I really like about it is Huey, Dewey, and Louie actually get personalities in that one, because in, in in the original show, it didn't matter which one you were looking at. They were all just the same person with a color swap, you know? Yeah. It's, it's doing kind of that modern thing where it does actually have a storyline that they've been kind of parsing out as it goes on because um, the, twi- the the triplet's mother is a character in the show. Like they've actually brought her up and I don't, apparently she's from the original comics, but they haven't talked about her since the sixties. Uh, her name's a, uh, Oh, I don't remember what her, her name is, but yeah, it, it's a surprisingly good show. Like it's one of those where my kid watches it. And I'm like, yeah, I'll sit down and watch this with you. Why, why wouldn't I want to spend time with my daughter? Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so Yeah. Uh, I, I would highly recommend for you and your kids. It's it's actually a pretty entertaining show, especially if you can have a little nostalgia for the original source material. And, oh, I love what they did with Darkwing Duck. It's very, 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 very fun and clever. Uh, so, And this on the Disney Plus? Yes, this is on the Disney Plus. So uh, in the original show, Launchpad went and became Darkwing Duck's sidekick, right, after DuckTales ended. In this show, Darkwing Duck is basically Batman. It's something that Launchpad watched a lot when he was a kid. And so he has a lot of Darkwing Duck memorabilia. Nice. And, and yeah, it's just, it's very clever. And I know at some point they're going to run into uh, the actor who played Darkwing Duck and it's voiced by the same guy. And, uh, and, and, and his duck character is very loosely based off of him, basically. Like they have a similar name and whatnot. So yeah, it, it's, it's pretty fun. I, I've been enjoying it. I like it. I watched a couple of uh, uh, Bond movies because they were on uh, <laughs> Amazon Prime. <laughs> Bond movies. Which ones? I watched uh, first. I watched the Living Daylights. Which one's that one? Is that the That's, last uh, one? The Timothy Dalton one. The first Timothy. Yeah. Dalton. The fi- okay. 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 Nice. One of the best uh, Bond theme songs ever. Yeah. Aha. Uh-huh. Yeah. And then um, turn back the clock to a view to a kill. 
1985, Christopher Walken at his finest. If you're a fan of the Bond movies, or if you can just sit through them, I would actually highly suggest watching them all in order. Oh, I have. I have. It's it's fascinating because they they made most of them about two years apart, kind of like clockwork. So like seeing society slowly shift as yeah, you it's watch amazing. these movies is, it's is really neat. And fashion, and yeah, and and like our view of the Russians, and uh, yeah, I kind of want a new Bond movie. Yeah, you're getting one. You're getting one yeah. real soon, actually. Oh, good. Yeah, oh, but it's it's the last one that one guy's gonna do, which is kind of sad. Yeah, but I mean, he's done five. I know, I know, and he's actually been Bond longer than uh, Moore was at this point, even though he's done less movies. So, I know. It's just maybe I'll have to watch them all again at some point. It'll be fun. So, so which one's Peter the better Kill one? Was fun. Okay. I, I, it has not lost any of its charm. Certainly, it's a product of the '80s, without a doubt. But it's, yeah, it's a, it's a relatively cohesive film. Living Daylights also a product of the '80s. This time, late '80s, but it is not as cohesive as a film. And man, there's just some goofy things. Happening well, in there. It, it, it was written for Roger Moore because they weren't sure if he was going to come back or not when they wrote the script. And then, yeah, so that's why. That's why the first Dal- or the second Dalton one is so much darker because that was the first one they did where they knew it was going to be him. Yeah. And then everybody had problems with it because they microwaved a person. Yeah. <laughs> and it was really dark. I like the dark gritty Bond, you know? Dark gritty 80s Bond was to. interesting. I, I never had a problem with uh, with Dalton's Bond. No, me neither. Dalton I wish we'd got more problem movies. There. Uh, I think that just society outgrew the, the formula. Yeah, I'll, I'll buy that. I completely buy that. And 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 Pierce Brosnan Bond, I, I also thoroughly enjoyed. That was the first one. That was the first one they're, I actually saw fun, in the theaters. But you, you, you want to talk about like the formula just barely clinging to life. Like the, the, those those Pierce Brosnan movies are distinctly following the Bond formula, but they are barely clinging to life. And by the time you get to uh, die another day. Uh, oh, man, the tidal oh, man. wave, man. It, it uh, it's not that that whole movie just has serious problems. Like it, I, I don't know at what point it became a sci-fi movie because there's an invisible car. But yeah, uh. they tried to pull a Moonraker, but it didn't work. No, no, and they tried to pull off you know old school kind of weird casual racism too, but they forgot that you know it was the early aughts. I think at that point, yeah. I think so. Um, let's see here. Yeah, that that movie is not not aged well <laughs> no in fact golden eyes aged better uh, i would agree 2002. 2002 yeah that's the thing like you can kind of forgive the old bond movies because they are definitely products of their time and it's very much a like but, yeah. but die another day is a product of the you know early 90s that just happened to come out in 2002 it didn't look good then and it's looked less and less good as time has gone on <laughs> As a young man, because my, my dad was really into James Bond, but he was really into Cottery because that was like his Bond. And so I didn't watch a lot of the Roger Moore movies. I think I saw several of them the first time that I went through all of them in order. And I got to say, like Roger Moore Bond, even though he is super a product of the 70s and his first one was kind of painfully bad, too, because it was following a lot of black exploitation tropes, but with a British guy, which just wasn't working well. <laughs> Wait, wait, are you, ta- are you talking about Live and Let Die? I love Live and Let Die. It, 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 it's just got some problems. I'm just like, oh. When I watched it, it seemed I'm like not it was... saying it doesn't have its problems, but... Well, I watched it never having seen it before. So, like, for me, it was trying too hard to to be more of a black exploitation movie. And trying to do that with a British guy, just it was just kind of cringy. 
You know, it it didn't have the charm that maybe it would have like as a product of its era because I, I watched it as a product of the mid two thousands and yeah, like I because I'd seen all the Connery movies and I'd seen uh, the Brosnan movies on my own. It's that gap in the middle where I I didn't watch a lot of it and so seeing it with kind of a modern sensibility was just kind of weird because I, I I couldn't separate it into the past. So I don't know, whatever. Well, being that they're all on Amazon Prime, maybe we should start at the beginning and 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 do one an episode. <laughs> Oh God! But Doctor No is so bad on so I know. many levels. Let's do it. I'm totally oh. down. Oh. Come on! Oh, let's, I dare let's, you. I double dog dare you. Let's let's have an Asian character and then just cast a white guy as him. It'll be fine. Oh God, that's the worst. <laughs> oh, it's just so bad. Yeah, yeah. It's nothing new. It's nothing new. Yeah, we're doing this. We're doing this. Okay, fair enough. Okay, to round me out before we get to our shared thing, Disney Plus. I have of course been watching The Simpsons. It is weird. Nice. I have nice. not seen the early season episodes of that in forever and ever. And and it's very much a product of the late 80s. Like there's stuff that happens in those first couple episodes. I'm like, holy Christ, like I don't think you do this now. It's just so so it reminds me of South Park. Like they like a couple of the gags they did, especially in the early, early episodes, it felt like they were just sort of being slightly offensive, just to be slightly offensive. And like the characters hadn't really settled yet, so they were a little weird and wishy-washy. Like uh, uh, Homer's voice was kind of off. Actually, everybody's voices was kind of off, but Homer's in particular was really off. And just like, um, it, like it occurred to me, Lisa being the smart one wasn't a character trait of hers until uh, until she does that that episode where she's depressed, like about halfway through the first season. So the first couple episodes, like they didn't really have that on her. She was just kind of a brat, and it's just it's odd. They did an episode where Bart gets bullied and I was watching it with Eowyn and she's just sitting there like, like she's like, why does he just tell his teacher what's going on? And I'm like, honey, it was a different time back then. Oh, let me tell you, Stephen King style bullies were, were a thing <laughs> in the late 80s. I know. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it's just it's weird. It's just weird watching all of it. If I have any deeper insights, I, I will I will fill you guys in. But so far, it's just kind of like, oh, OK. What I'm really curious about is how the show will be when I get to the point where I stopped watching it because um, I kind of I kind of lost it in, in like the late like season eight or nine. And I'm going to have like 20 seasons that I just have no comprehension of, which will be bizarre <laughs> to watch. And 20 seasons, 20 years worth of stuff that I don't didn't watch. Like that's going to be weird seeing pop culture through that lens. I, I don't know. I like it. I'm looking forward to it. I get I, I get a kick out of stupid crap like that. What can I say? Well, it's time. It's time for us to discuss The Mandalorian. And as of this episode, there have been three, in my opinion, glorious episodes. You and I have very different opinions about that show, which is fascinating. I am slightly disappointed in that show. Although Baby, oh. Yoda, Baby Yoda is so cute. Oh, my God. That show might be worth it just for that alone. I think you've got old man, old grumpy man goggles on. No, 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 no. Okay, so I figured out what's been bothering me about that show. It kind of dawned on me during the third episode what's been bothering me. Because I've been telling you I'm concerned that the show is never going to outgrow the the brooding badass thing, right? And I realized what's been bothering me about it. It's kind of like the difference between why DC characters work better on TV and Marvel characters work better in film. Like Star Wars is film. And what they're giving me is a TV show that is trying to be a Star Wars film. And I'm I'm getting annoyed by it because I want to see a show on TV that's episodic 
where people like change and grow and like there's characters. But so far what it's been is it's been the Mandalorian and baby Yoda and then a third sidekick that they introduce every couple of shows. And I, yeah, I'm just kind of like, okay, like, see, I think he has started to change and I think he has shown a lot of character growth, even just in these first three episodes. And a lot of that has to do with where he is in his life and what he's doing and how he's realizing that it's, not just about the money. Well, but we don't know if it was just about the money with him because they were trying to get the, uh, I keep wanting to say it's the best pin. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Yeah. If it was just about the money, you wouldn't come back. Well, no, 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 no. I, 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 it's not about the money. It's about the, it's not the best pin. It's the, what's the metal that they make their stuff out of? I can't even remember. It sounds like best, 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 best car. Yeah, that's right. Um, but yeah, 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 it's, I don't know. I wanted a big cast of characters. I don't know. Cause like the, the other TV shows like the clone wars and uh, rebels and, and the resistance, like they're about a group and everybody's got their stories and it's about the ensemble and, and TV I think works better than that. But I, ha- you don't see a lot of TV shows where it's just a lone person like carrying the story. I think we're going to get to that. I just think we're not quite there yet. And the reason why is that clone wars ultimately started with a cast of characters that was introduced in a film. And so they didn't need to necessarily introduce them again. But Rebels and Resistance certainly didn't. They they just started with pilot episodes. So I'm basically annoyed that I'm being forced to watch a Star Wars movie in 30 minute chunks every week. <laughs> That's where yeah, I'm, I'm at. I'm that. enjoying it. I think it's it's fascinating and it's it's leaving me hanging on the edge and and desperate for the next episode to come out. Well, there we go. Well, we'll see how where the season ends up because I'm 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 still happy enough. I'm I'm happy watching it, but yeah, I'm not. We have very different opinions on that show. We'll see where it ends up. Why don't we, t- why don't we talk about it again when it's all wrapped up and we'll have a, a spoilerific conversation about it. Fair enough. Fair enough. I think that's a good idea. Well, have you been reading anything? I have. I started a new book. Um, I started reading Columbus Day. You talked about that last time. I made a crack about Independence Day. Yes, yes. Uh, it's not that at all. So far, and mind you, I'm not terribly far into it, but uh, so far it is closer to Battle Los Angeles. Interesting. But... You know, with a little more character exposition. That's good. You having fun? I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying it. It's, it's, you know, it's light reading. It's not super dense or super deep, but it is fun. I'm, I'm trying to read more. I'm trying to be like a good parent and read in front of my children. And so, and, and also I found out that it's better for libraries if you get physical books instead of uh, eBooks for various reasons that are too complicated to get into here. So I've been trying to rent physical books and read more of them. And I wonder if that one's there. I should look. It's called Columbus Day. <laughs> yeah, Columbus Day. Nope, they don't have it. Really? Yep. Bum, 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 bum. Are you re- is it an ebook only or something? I don't know. I don't know. Are you reading as an ebook? Uh, I have the paperback. I have a paperback. Huh. Well, if it didn't get released in hardback, too, sometimes the library is bad about getting that. I think it was straight to paperback. Well, I have been doing unlight reading. Uh, I, I intermittently listen to the Cracked Podcast when they uh, do an episode that sounds interesting to me. And one of the guys they had on had written a book, and I liked his episode, so I read it. Uh, it's called In Defense of Elitism. And I got to say, I read the whole book, and uh, much like a lot of movies in Hollywood, I think he failed to land the third act because <laughs> like his opening was good and then he started like kind of like getting his argument together in the second half of the book and then he tried to like punch me with it i'm like no it, it didn't it didn't quite come together like you're here it didn't bake 
So I was a little disappointed in that. But the episode of the Crack Podcast he, he was on was quite fun. I said so. good day, sir. <laughs> That's funny. That's the title of a chapter. <laughs> he he talks about a, a new political party that he's uh, he's been <laughs> kind of like sort of making, and uh, yeah, that is that is their slogan. Apparently, I said good day, sir, and then they walk away. You'll have to read the book to find out what I meant by that. <laughs> but yeah, I. Yeah, it was kind of it was kind of crappy because he's like a comedian, so he writes like witty, and it was a fun read. And and some of the, the little vignettes were interesting because the beginning of it, he goes to the town of Miami, Texas, and then the middle of it is about him going over to uh, Scott, the Dilbert guy, Scott Adams, right? Yeah, yeah. He goes and he goes to Scott Adams's house where you find out that his house literally has a Dilbert shaped tower of it over it where the eyes face out towards the pool. And, uh, yeah, you know, and then there's a lot of stuff about him hanging out with other people, but yeah, it was, it, those parts were funny and they were written in, in a fun way, but yeah, it was just, yeah, it didn't quite, didn't quite work out. That's weird. You know, what is it about like media these days where the third act just doesn't quite happen? It's weird. Yeah. That's, uh, that's a pretty common problem, unfortunately. Yeah. It's been a problem for like, like what, since Avatar, I want to say it's been like 10 years, third acts, people write your third act. Come on. And uh, the new D&D book came out, the Eberron uh, Rising from the Last War, which uh, I got as an early Christmas present because I was hemming and hawing if I was going to buy it or not. And I flipped through it a couple times. And it is interesting. They have – you know what I like about Eberron? The game is set in the year 959 of nameless year. It doesn't really matter. Um, but the first book ever was set basically four years after the end of Fantasy World War One, And – Ever since then, they have not changed that date. It's always four years after Fantasy World War One, and they say, "What happens after this? What's the canon?" And they're like, "There is none. Make it up. Like your world is your thing. Like this is the start date. Go from there, and it is up to you. And you make the decisions." That's like, neat. yeah, they 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 do these mysteries, and they say this is. They they usually give you like I remember in the original book they gave you like two or three interpretations of some of the setting mysteries, and they just said, "Yeah, pick one, go." Like, this is your game. Just do it. And I, I think it's kind of cool that they've been sticking with that. Anyway, if you if you like high fantasy magic tech, I don't know, give it a go. It's got a new class in it, the Artificer, which are kind of fun. I like them. There you go. Well, I might be on this uh, series of books for a while, unfortunately, because I, uh, I found out that they're eight. Uh, eight <laughs> oh, oh. Dictionary Force books. So I don't know. I'm going to put it on my list, though. Because that does sound up my alley. All right, Robert. Now, I see you here. You've uh, read a couple RPGs. Well, I, I read Eberron. No, I played sort of an RPG. So I, I'm prepping for that D&D game. And uh, the players are going to, you know, the ruins of a, a old family castle. And they're going to try to take it over. And I knew there was going to be a village near that castle. But I, I had a name and that was about it. So I uh, got the wife to play a game called One Quiet Year which is uh, a story game where you just sort of role play a town. And we played a fast game where we didn't use all of the rules and we used the, uh, the, the cards for it as kind of like writing prompts. But uh, basically what you do is uh, you get a deck of cards, you break them into the suits, you shuffle up all the suits, and then each suit represents a season in one quiet year of a town. And we got some fun stuff. Like it'll, it, there's some fun random prompts that we came up with in that. That'll be, that'll be fun to play. So I, I will, I will let you know later. And I've been, contemplating the first adventure of that but by the time this episode comes out i know hi wes one of my players in that game listens to me talk on the internet so i can't talk about that adventure until after we have it 
So unfortunately, that's it. But we did play One Quiet Year, and I that that game's fun. Very cool. Very cool. And then how about video games? You've been playing anything? Uh just the same old, same old. Overwatch, DBQ, Dragon Quest Builders Two, and Spider Man. Spider Man came back out because I'm I'm. I need a new game. I'm like kind of bored of everything, but I'm like just sort of waiting for Black Friday, hoping something interesting will be cheap. If not, I've got Control coming in at the library soon. Ooh, I really want to play that. Yeah, I want to give it a go too. Anyway, we'll see. But yeah, I don't have anything yet. I'm just kind of like keeping an eye, eyes peeled for a new game and there's just nothing right now that I'm interested in. I really want a turn-based RPG like Battle Chasers and there just aren't a ton on the PS4. It's kind of sad. No, there just aren't a ton, period. Yeah, I know. I know. That's the reality of it. Because I was looking for one the other day, too. And uh, the worst part is I cannot find a lot of the old uh, the old PlayStation games that I used to enjoy. Like, I would I really had a hankering to play through Wild Arms again, if you remember that one. I do. I played Wild Arms. Uh, and I don't know why. I just I got the theme song stuck in my head, and I, I had a hankering to play it. And you can't find it on PC. You can't really find it. It's, it's Wild Arms 3 is on PS4. I've been yeah, thinking about, but it's not Wild Arms. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Rumor has it that the PS5 is going to be backward compatible with everything. So I may, hope. maybe we'll get lucky there. Because I wouldn't mind. There's a lot of older games. I, I missed a lot of generations of, of RPGs, and there was a lot of weird stuff on the PS3 that I just didn't didn't have at all. And I've heard about this one game called Tales of Verespia, but I played one of the the other games and it didn't really grab me. But Tales of Verespia looks cooler because you play a, a lady who has like a demon arm and you go tear people up. And I'm like, that could be fun. <laughs> I enjoy tearing people up with demon arms. If anybody's got anything, I, I and the problem is too, like if if I play it a lot, I have to be able to play it in front of the kids, and so that kind of like limits some of my options. It's like because I ha- I have The Witcher Three, I just haven't been able to play it because of that. Yeah, that's not one you can play in front of the kids. There's there's a fair amount of dong in that one. Yeah, yeah, and violence, lots of violence. Not like there's not violence in final in Dragon Quest Eleven, but you know there's like no gore. Dude, low poly Aerith gets a sword right through her in Final Fantasy Seven. Yeah, that's the remake of that's coming out soonish. Maybe I'll play that. I don't know. I'm I'm hoping it's good. I hope they don't stray too far away from what made the original good. Because it wasn't a script. Oh! Ah! That's very, very true. <laughs> I will agree. A lot of, a lot of my enjoyment of the, that game came from the, uh, the Materia system and figuring out combos. That's an important element of game design, people. You have to give players the ability to make themselves think they're clever. So what have you been playing? What have I been playing? Um... Apex and Modern Warfare still multiplayer, having a lot of fun with that. And I, I uh, one of the games that I've been waiting for for a while went on heavy discount on Steam, so I bought Wreckfest. Uh, do you remember the old Destruction Derby games from the PlayStation One days? I rented that from Blockbuster Video once, but I don't recall. Uh, it's basically it's a racing game where you, where it's totally okay and encouraged to uh, you know demolish the other cars on the track. It's a demolition derby. Okay. Yeah, this is de- this is basically Demolition Derby 2019, and in, in all the best ways. It's a fun little arcade racer with really good physics and an amazing soft body demolition engine. So all the cars are getting wrecked in really interesting and unique ways. And so this game's like trying to to channel that, or oh no no no, it's 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 more than trying. It's successfully <laughs> nice. Okay. It is a hoot to play an absolute hoot 
Cool. And the physics are fantastic, and there's tons and tons of debris, and the, the tracks, as they get demolished by the cars and the guardrails get broken and the, the, the tire walls get smashed and scattered around, everything stays on the track. Everything. Oh, that's cool. Could it cause more damage so, and slow you down if you hit it? Yes. Yes. Nice. So it really makes it makes the the you know beyond lap one extremely interesting. And then uh, finally, Jedi Fallen Order has come out. Come out. Yeah. How was that game? I am enjoying it. Um, it's not without its issues. Uh, it's not a perfect action game, but it is a very good action game in my favorite universe, which is a really good combo. What game does it play like, just out of curiosity? Depends on what you're doing. It's got exploration of an Uncharted Mm -hmm. with a God of War-inspired combat engine, but you can't spam. You have to block appropriately if you're going to be uh, uh, successful in the game. It's all about blocks and parries. And so to that end, it feels very much like a Dark Souls. Hmm. And so it's a really interesting mesh of everything. Some of the characters are genuinely interesting. Uh, some of the supporting cast, as you get into the game, they start to tell their, their unique stories. Mm-hmm. And uh, man, there's one character that is suffering from PTSD and survivor's guilt in a big way. And it is fascinating and, and quite sad, really. But from a characterization standpoint, fascinating uh, the, the things that they tell you about. And I'm being very coy about it because I don't want to give it away. Well, I will tell you soon. I am 46th in line oh, on three it copies. Take next to no time. Yeah, yeah, 25 weeks, give or take. No, divide by three. No, no, like three months. Three months. I'll have it in three months. There you go. <laughs> it might be quicker. No, generally isn't. Yeah, it could take up to 30 weeks for me to get that game. Cool beans. <laughs> All right, Robert. Well, let's move on to board games. Um, what have you been playing? And go on. <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. One of those weeks. Yes. Well, um, I went to BGGCon. So oh, no. That's a, that, that's a filthy, filthy lie. My, my buddy Wes came into town and we played a Fluffy Bunny Tea Party the other day. I completely forgot about that. Oh, nice. Yeah. Was, was there a lot of uh, insult? Uh, yeah. Well, I, I generally get extremely vulgar when I get my card turned sideways because it's like, what are you going to do at that point? Turn me sideways again? You can't. It's already there. <laughs> But yeah, yeah, yeah. Fluffy Bunny Tea Party made a reappearance. And and we were playing it, and uh, Wes's wife, Claire. Hi, Claire. I don't know if she listens to this. She said she listened to the episodes that we tagged with Veronica Mars. So maybe I'll have to go add that. <laughs> uh, but anyway, uh, she she was like, we should get this game. And I'm like, yes, if you decide to, let me know, because you can only buy it on drive through cards, and I can send you a link where I get a little slice of that pie. <laughs> yes, good, good. Anyway, there we go. Now I'm done. So you went to B- BGGCon. I went to BGGCon, which means I got to, a chance to play a lot of stuff. Um, I've, I've kind of put some of the highlights out. I played a game called Flotilla. Age of Sail, you loved it? No, no, it's not Age of Sail. Oh, oh my. Oh. It takes place in an alternate 1950s where the nuclear tests went very, very poorly. Mm. And now, uh, because they went so poorly, the world is covered by water. <laughs> I don't know how that works, but whatever. Go on. 
So um, you play as a survivor in the apocalypse and you are living out on the ocean uh, in a colony, kind of water worldish. But this without. is water world the game, isn't it? No, because it doesn't have suck. <laughs> so you, they're, they're out there. Um, and in the first phase, phase of the game, you play a sink cider. So you are... Uh, living out on the ocean, and you are basically going out and trying to move your ships around and scuba dive to pull up resources. Now, your first instinct when you bring these resources up is to sell them and make money so that you can do things like buy additional uh, boats and buy additional outposts and, and you know all the things that you would traditionally do in an engine building game. Except that it's not. It's a Euro game. And you need to be tucking away these resources as much as possible. Because at some point during the game, at any point really, every single player has the ability to declare themselves a sky sider. At that point, you are, you know, working in a, a different cast of the society. You flip your cards over, you flip your player board over, and it goes from the engine building Euro game that you were playing before into a Carcassonne style game where all of the tiles that you previously had explored on the ocean get pulled back and you have to repurchase them but play them on the flip side which allows you to start building uh, a huge city on the ocean and when you do that it's almost like carcassonne you're trying to get multipliers based on how large of a city you make weird i'm intrigued yeah it's fascinating it is not difficult but it is heavy it is a brain burner so i really enjoyed it so I, I think I will be returning to that. I, I brought home a copy. Is this was this new out there, or it's relatively new? It was an Essen launch. Okay, so it might be at my FLGS. Yes, yes. So okay. um, a lot of stuff in the box too. It's a lot to take in your first game, but I, I can definitely see where they were going and the the puzzle at work there and the risk and reward of of when to flip over because you can't flip back. Uh, is really entertaining, really interesting. Oh, I'm looking at the cover. It's kind of got a uh, Bioshock vibe. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. But it's not going after the Bioshock thing. Right, right, right. I'm just vibe, vibe. That sort of 1950s Art Deco thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, and then I played a game called uh, Quartermaster General. And it's a game that takes place during World War II, but in um, everybody plays a different country, uh, up to six players at once. And instead of, you know, basically trying to control territory and whatnot, you are creating a supply chain uh, by linking units on the board. And at any time, if your units get, uh, if your chain gets broken, then all the other units in the chain disappear. You, you've basically lost them and you'll have to start your chain over. Uh, and it's a, it's a really interesting spin on a strategy game. I really, really had a good time with it. Uh, I also played a game called Sanctum, or not Diablo, I promise, the board game. <laughs> okay. Everybody chooses a hero. There's uh, four asymmetrical heroes. Uh, those heroes have different upgrade boards, uh, and you are making your way through a map, and as you do that, monsters come out. You assign them to yourself, and once you kill them, those monsters will allow you to start upgrading your individual powers. And when you flip the monster card over, it's also random loot that you pick up that you can then equip to your character when you take a rest action. Now, the interesting thing is the first half of the game feels extremely easy. 
to the point where everybody at the table kept on looking at each other saying, are we playing this right? This, this shouldn't be this easy. This is really easy. And then you get to the last boss and you realize it's just like Diablo because Diablo is really easy until you get to the boss. The boss can do more than your health in damage when you first start. Oh, wow. So you have to start mitigating that damage. You have to start whittling away at the boss. And that is is going to be completely reliant on how you've upgraded your character and uh, the armor that you now have. So it's a really interesting game. I also played the King Domino Roll and Write game where you roll four dice. Uh, it's a two-player game. It's a dueling game. Uh, you roll four dice. Uh, the first player chooses one. The second player chooses two. And then the last player, or the first player then chooses the, the last die. And you put those two together to form a domino, just like King Domino. And you're trying to create your kingdom, and you're trying to match up like symbols uh, and activate multipliers on each of them to get uh, your score. And there's a, a whole bunch of... Um, game-changing powers and one-time use powers that you get access based on on your roles. Hmm. So it's a, a bit of a race in that respect, too. And there's a lot of different ways to manipulate the dice once you start unlocking these powers, and it, it was interesting. I really had a good time with it. It's a shorter game, may, maybe take you 15-20 minutes, uh, two-player game, and it fits in the palm of your hand. It's in this tiny little box to the point where you're like, what am I getting here? I don't feel like I'm getting anything. And then you put it all out on the table and it totally works and it's totally fun. And then a couple of other uh, games. I played a game called Solar Draft, which is all about uh, everybody starts with the sun, and then you are drafting cards to form the best solar system. <laughs> That's cool. Uh, I also had an opportunity to play uh, some Terrors of London, and while I was at the show, I also went over to the Colossal Booth and bought the two expansions for Terrors of London. Oh, nice. So not only am I having fun, but I can now play up to four players. I've got a bunch of new... Um, factions to play, a bunch of new minions to play, and um, some new mechanics as well. I picked up the Reptile Tomb and Servants of the Black Gate. Cool. So I'm excited. I'm excited to get some more Terrors of London out now that I've got the expansions. And then finally, I played today's deep dive game, Black Orchestra, but I don't want to go into that because we'll be deep diving it very soon. Cool, cool. And with that, Robert, I think we come to the end of the off-the-shelf segment, do we not? Yeah, yeah. All right, we're going to take a short break, and when we return from that break, we will be diving into a very abbreviated wisdom of crowds, because it is, in fact, that time of year. So, join us right after this break. We will be right back. We love getting feedback, so please let us know how we're doing by hitting us up at one of the following. You can join us on Patreon, where we post bonus content. You can also message us or tweet at us on the Twitter. Find us at Forgot My Dice. You can join us in our Facebook group at facebook.com slash group slash FMD podcast. If you like the show, the best way for more people to find out about us is to give Forgot My Dice a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. Lastly, for those of you seeking experiences beyond our concepts of pleasure and pain, set the Lamont configuration to full hell mode. Oddly, you can find us in several levels of the labyrinth as the only thing playing on the radio. Wait, what? I have such sights to show you, Jonathan. Ah, oh, I need to take your Netflix account away from you. And welcome back. It is now time for our Wisdom of Crowd segment. This is, of course, our bi-weekly tabletop news segment, which has been slightly truncated the past few weeks as news has been a little harder to come by and... Frankly, Robert, it's a l no, <laughs> no different this week. No, no. 
But that being said, I do have a piece of non-gaming news that I think is important. All right, go on. Today, my friend, is November 25th. Do you know what happened two days ago? Uh, Saturday? That's my answer. Production on the Dune remake has come to an end. It is officially in the can and are in we, post. Are we scraping the that bottom of the barrel for anything? Dune Watch! Dune Watch 2020, news? baby! That's not news. That's not gaming news. That's news to me. That's part of Dune Watch. That's your personal nonsense. That's your personal nonsense. That's part of Dune Watch 2020. Dune Watch 2020 is from... (sighs) Okay. Just let it happen, Liz. Just let it wash over you. It's okay. Yeah, no. Just just say what you got to say. Don't be afraid. Fear is the mind killer, Robert. Fear is the the tiny death. death that brings total oblivion. Yes, I know. Shh. All right, Robert. Well, I've got nine stories to talk about today, but none of them are particularly long because it's a bunch of announcements, but it's announcements that have caught my eye. All right. Rack that shotgun. Let's do this. All right. First round. Medici is getting the dice game treatment. Grail Games and Reiner Knizia are back for another game in the Medici line, and this time they're going for Medici the dice game. This, of course, follows the original Medici and Medici the card game. They got to round out that grand slam of gaming. Now all they need is like a collectible card game, an RPG, and they get like the the pentaveret. They're almost there. Um, Each player gets a sheet that represents the uh, cargo hold on their ship. And there's a bunch of custom dice that you will be rolling. And you get to select up to three of the five to place the cargo on your your ship. And you're going to be scoring based on the goods and the majority of commodities, uh, which actually is straight from the original game, if I recall correctly. So there you go. Medici, the dice game from Reiner Knizia. Next. There's a sequel to Takedo coming. Namiji. Oh, I read about this. Yes. Uh, players will ride on painted boats. Uh, the, and the actual miniatures in the game are painted. Um, and you're going to be going across the seas of the Japanese coast. Uh, you will be contemplating different marine species, collecting fish, um, pulling up traps filled filled with different crustaceans. And much like the original Takedo, along the way, you're going to have an opportunity to uh, improve your situation somewhat with game-breaking changes. And uh, there you go. The board has the exact same minimalist treatment as Takedo, but this one actually features player boards. Everybody gets their own player board uh, with a set amount of space that you can carry cargo in. So there you go. Cool, 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 cool. You want to wreck that shotgun again? Shotgun! Station Master uh, is a game that's been out of print for some time. It is returning. Calliope Games is giving us a new version of uh, Station Master. The original Station Master was a Mayfair game, uh, and that was back in 2004. So it's been a good solid 15 years since this one Hmm. came out. I have yet to play this one. I really want to. I've heard very, very good things about it. I've heard it's very simple to learn and teach. Jonathan, watch out. There's a zombie game rising from the grave. Shotgun? Racket. It is a zombie. It's rising from the grave. Maybe it's like a mummy. Or it could be a phoenix rising. (laughs) 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 Fantasy Flight Games is applying the Fallout license to another board game. We are getting Fallout Shelter, the board game. Oh, based off that app game. Yes, yes. You are uh, going to be officers in a vault. The overseer has uh, unfortunately fallen uh, to an untimely demise. And now... You are in charge of your vault. So you'll be uh, basically managing your resources, 
uh, it, doing some worker placement by assigning your dwellers to the different tasks to keep the, the vault moving and keeping everybody safe and happy. So it's the board game version of that app game. Cool. Yep. Shotgun! There will be a new title in the Gloomhaven line, Jaws of the Lion. <laughs> Cephalophore has finally announced it. It is a mass market style game, and it's going to be available in retailers uh, Q3 of 2020. Oh, that's a while. Interesting. But you know what? <laughs> There's a couple of uh, West Coast-based companies that are teaming up to uh, make some magic happen. AEG, makers of Smash Up, and The Op, formerly USA Opley, makers of Everything Licensed, are teaming up to bring a bunch of The Op's licenses to Smash Up as playable factions. I read about this. If they said what any of the factions are, that's what I went fishing for, and I didn't find, if I remember correctly. No, but uh, this particular article that I'm reading does say that The Op is holder of licenses such as Harry Potter... They work with Disney and Marvel and Star Wars. They have Batman. So, you know, uh, I know they do some uh, Game of Thrones stuff as well. Interesting. Interesting. I like it. I like it. I can't wait to see what they actually make. Yeah, they're actually just, they're only a couple miles from each other uh, in North San Diego County. So, hmm. you know what, though? Shotgun. Pew. Pew. That was my laser shotgun. This one caught my eye just because it was such an interesting um, an interesting setting for a game. There's a new game coming out called Zona, The Secrets of Chernobyl, and it's from Rebel Games. So you will take the role of a scavenger. There will be several asymmetrical scavengers included in the game. Um, and you are trying to attempt a trek to the sarcophagus of the Chernobyl nuclear power plant. And if you are the first to get there... You will be the winner, apparently. Uh, you are tr- trying to basically beat the clock. The clock is dwindling down, and when the t- clock dwindles down completely, there will be something called the final emission, and then there will be no winners because everyone will be dead. <laughs> so nice. There you go. It's got an interesting cover. Um, I, not a ton about the gameplay, uh, so I'm kind of curious about it. I, I, I just think it's a fascinating setting for a game. Shotgun. All right, last one. This is the crossover that I think you're going to buy. I'm going to put my money mm-hmm. on you end up buying this. Okay. We're getting a new version of Clue. Okay. Clue, Dungeons and Dragons. Didn't that already exist? I don't know, but this is an. If it did exist, it's this is new. Okay. So it's coming to you to us from the op. It's officially sanctioned by Wizards of the Coast, and we're going to Clue Dungeons and Dragons. You will take pl- the, the role of uh, one of the great characters from D&D. Everybody's searching for the infernal puzzle box. So players will need to determine who was slain, who was replaced by a minion of Zariel, which weapon was used when that murder occurred, where is the puzzle box hidden? All the normal clue stuff, but totally in the D&D realm. The game's going to come with six tokens. Those are going to represent the different weapons. There's going to be a greatsword, a longbow, silver claw, scimitar, horn of blasting, and censor of remembrance. So <clears throat> this is the second iteration of Clue D&D. The first one, uh, I'm not sure how old this is, but it goes way, way back. Uh, it looks like from the third edition days. And yeah, that one just looks like more of a Clue reskin. This has some different stuff. So that is cool. Yeah, this, this, it, it looks like they are taking the Clue bones, but uh, attaching some different muscles to it. I like it. I like it. Is that it? That is the it. The shotgunning? That is our news bites. 
All right. So today, Wizards threw an Unearthed Arcana out into the internet, and apparently it was just covered in a layer of salt because, oh my God, Jonathan, it is. It, oh, the Grognards are so unhappy. And you know what? I, I, I'm kind of a troll enough that I'm the more the grognards get unhappy, the more I'm kind of digging it, even though I initially didn't like it. <laughs> <laughs> Lately, Wizards have been releasing a lot of Unearthed Arcana articles, and today was like the day. They ha- so D&D, since second edition, has had psionics rules, which are always these sort of optional things, which is typically an optional player uh, character class. And they come out like way late in the cycle, which always sucks for various reasons. They've been releasing various iterations of the Psionicist class they for a while now, and today they came up with their, I think, their third attempt. So what we got today was instead of it being its own class, we got Psionic subclasses. So they made a soul blade for the, the rogue, which is basically your Psylocke. You make like a psychic blade and stab people with it. They made the Psychic Warrior, which was a fun class from 3rd edition, and that is just a fighter subtype. And then they made the Psychic a wizard school of all things. And oh my gosh, not having the psionicist be its own thing is making people lose their damn mind online. It is fascinating to watch. What? The internet losing their mind collectively over something that they have no control. Yeah. Yeah. Surely not. Having watched the various iterations of the psychic class come and go, I, I see the problem with it. Um, Because I really like the last version they made of it. But the problem with the last version they made of it is you didn't need any other character classes because they basically had like psychic powers tied to every stat in the game, you know, so you could play the strength based psychic and uh, the problem with the strength based psychic, which was the psychic warrior was you were just as good of a fighter as a fighter (laughs) or you could play the dex based one, which made you rogi which was also the soul blade uh the one i liked the most was the immortal which was the con based one where you basically were really really hard to kill and that was about it but yeah like it's like legacy stuff that it's its own separate thing you know and uh part of me kind of likes that you know like i i think what they're trying to do is they're trying to just reinvent the wheel and make something that looks like the wizard but isn't and they just haven't been able to get it right and i think finally they just gave up they said you know in fifth edition this is just a wizard. It's just flair. Like it, we're not going to deal with it anymore because it's just causing headaches, I guess. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh man, the scion not being its own thing is making people lose their minds on the internet. Jonathan lose their minds. I've had old school game designers have open conversations where they're talking about how much they want to take a poop on this. <laughs> Because they don't want to piss off wizards because uh, the psychic class was really heavily embedded into an old campaign setting called Dark Sun. And they're like, I really want to work on Dark Sun if they made it. But if I if I put a steamer on wizards, I, uh, maybe they won't let me work for them. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> this is amazing to watch. Oh, Jonathan. I don't know. My, my, my hot take on it is it seems a little lazy to not make it, it its own separate class. But the problem is I, I think they're right. I don't, I don't think it needs to be a separate class. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, at the end of the day, I think I think any good psionicist class will just look like a sorcerer with different flair. And at that point, at that point, I'm like, why isn't this a sorcerer subtype? But that's my only actual critique of it, because I, I, I see their point of view. Yeah. Go poke around on the Internet. People are really pissed. It's fun. <laughs> if you're people on the Internet pissed. Oh, Robert, tell me it ain't so. <laughs> All right. Well. 
That is the end of the news, but not the end of the segment, because we still need to talk about what was happening 365 days ago in A Year in the Life, our segment where we look at what we were deep diving a year ago. But I don't think we deep dove anything a year ago, did we? No, Forgot My Dice episode. I forgot to write it down. But titled The Wrong Mind Juices, we uh, interviewed Russ Zimmerman. That was a fun interview. That was a fun interview. Uh, in the years since then, he's had four major releases that I can see on uh, RPG Geek. Uh, Earth Dawn, The Adept's Journey, and then he wrote three books for Shadowrun, including contributing to the sixth edition. Uh, he wrote another one, or helped write uh, Chicago Chaos and Lifestyle 2080. Nice. All right, well, it's time for another short break, but when we return from this break, it'll be time for our deep dive, where we will learn about the Black Orchestra. <laughs> Do you have a tabletop, board game, miniature game, or RPG that you're going to release for retail? Or do you have an upcoming tabletop Kickstarter that you're about to launch? We would love to interview you for a future episode of the Forgot My Dice podcast. Send us an email to fmdpodcast2016 at gmail.com to schedule an interview. And welcome back from the break. It is now time for our deep dive, and on this episode, we will be deep diving Black Orchestra. In Black Orchestra, each player chooses a historic figure involved in the conspiracy to assassinate Hitler. In this dark and dangerous pursuit, motivation is perhaps your greatest weapon. If you can stay true to your convictions in the face of overwhelming threat and inspire your comrades, then you will be able to use your special ability, attempt plots, and even become zealous, necessary for some extremely daring plots. But... Every move you make may may also increase the suspicion of the authorities. The Gestapo will make routine sweeps, and any players with high suspicion will be arrested and interrogated, possibly resulting in other players being arrested. If you all are arrested, or if the Gestapo finds your secret papers, you lose, and the suspicion placed on each conspirator will increase the chances that their plots are detected. So break it down, Jonathan. How's this game go? All right. Well, let's talk about the way it's laid out on the table first. Um... The first thing you'll notice, of course, is the game board. And the game board is essentially a map of Europe. But what's particularly interesting is that Germany and Berlin specifically uh, are accessible throughout the in almost the entirety of the game. But large chunks of the map, uh, Western Europe, Eastern Europe, etc., are not always accessible because as the game progresses, time progresses, and the actual events of World War II will be influencing the size of the map. So... As Germany swells in power, more of the map will become available to you. As Germany declines in power, less of the map will become available to you, meaning that you have to move quickly because scattered throughout the map are going to be various items, and those items must be discovered and then collected uh, through taking actions, and you apply these items to various plots that you have the opportunity to try and enact as the conspirators. And ultimately, if you can get together the correct items, the correct plot, and be in the right place at the right time, you will have an opportunity to attempt the assassination of Hitler. And that is ultimately the goal of the game, is you're trying to stop uh, stop Hitler. And this is shadowing the plot of the conspirators that attempted to assassinate him uh, in the middle of World War II. Uh, stop me if I'm wrong, but it's the uh, the film uh, Valkyrie was based off of this, right? Yeah, Valkyrie was the, the, the film of the story. Now, there's a couple different things that you'll notice. Right above the game board, you will have seven stacks of cards. And these cards 
are the event cards. Those cards are going to be staged in uh, stacks based on number, and those numbers follow the years of the war. So all the events in any given stack are going to be historically accurate events that occurred during the real time period, and they're going to have an influence on the board as well as uh, your actions. So let's talk about the the basic concepts uh, uh, that the game uses to move right along. First of all, you've got two tracks that you're going to be tracking, uh, motivation and suspicion. Motivation measures the commitment that uh, you and the rest of the players have to the cause. Um, Basically, morale, right? You begin at a very timid level, and that limits the number of cards uh, that you get in your dossier. Once you've improved your morale and your motivation, you'll be able to expand your dossier to hold more cards, which is important because that's going to give you the ability to interact and to enact um, a plot. On the opposite end of the spectrum, you have suspicion, and that's how much attention that you've gotten from the Gestapo and the government in general. And as the suspicion track rises, you are going to eventually uh, attract the attention of a Gestapo raid. And when that happens, people can become arrested. People can fall under extreme suspicion, which limits their ability to interact. And uh, eventually you can even lose items, which is is terrible (laughs) when you're trying to put together a, a conspiracy plot. Now, play overview is in three basic stages. The first thing you're going to do is, uh, based on where you are, you're going to look for where Hitler and his deputies are on the board. And that's important because depending on where they are, if they happen to be sharing a space with a conspirator, all of those people have a negative effect, things like lowering your motivation or discarding a card from your dossier, etc. Because the thought process there is that they have a very intimidating presence against the conspirators, and they've disrupted your plans. So you suffer a penalty. Now, the next thing you're going to do is take three actions. Uh, It should be said that at the end of every turn, by the way, uh, Hitler and the deputies do move around the board in very specific places. And again, this is tracking the actual movements of the time period. So as these guys go to the different fronts of the war to inspect things, uh, and the game progresses through the years of the war, that's kind of what's uh, dictating a lot of their motion. Make sense? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, you take up to three actions on your turn. And there's quite a few actions that you can take. Now, you can act. That lets you resolve an effect on your dossier um, or on your conspirator sheet. uh, And that is marked by a a specific symbol. You can collect items. Because scattered around the map, upside down, are the various items that you need to enact your conspiracies. And they start all face down. Um, So once they are face up, you have the option of collecting them. You can conspire. And when you conspire, you're going to be rolling some custom dice that come with the game. And you were risking raising your suspicion if the negative effect of the dice kicks in. But uh, if you happen to get a target on your die, you are going to get an opportunity to lock that die into what's called the descent track. And all the descent track is basically a track where once three die are locked into it, the active player immediately chooses and applies one of these effects. You're going to have the opportunity to raise one conspirator's motivation by one, or you're going to lower Hitler's military support by one. And that military support is very important. Depending on where you are in the timeline, 
the military support can be very, very high, making it very difficult to enact a conspiracy, or uh, it can be very, very low, making it easier to enact a conspiracy. And the lower it goes, the easier it is for you to move your plot forward. So having the ability to directly influence that as a player is kind of huge. You're going to get the opportunity to deliver an item. Uh, From time to time, uh, you will need to carry out your day-to-day duties uh, because you are in the government to make sure that this suspicion isn't too high on you. So um, there are spaces that are marked to deliver and you will have to take items there. And by doing that, you exchange it for a lowering of suspicion. You also have the opportunity to uh, work on your dossier. And by doing that, you take the top card off the conspirator deck and you add that to your dossier face up. Now, the conspirator cards uh, come in a variety of different flavors. Some will be marked as illegal. And if you possess an illegal card, when a Gestapo raid happens, that's what will get you arrested. And when you're arrested, somebody else is going to have to come and get you out. How do, how do they do that, by the way? Just they have to spend resources or? Well, uh, uh, you mean get him out of jail? Yeah. Do you have to like physically go somewhere as like a character and move around the map or just how, how does that happen? Just out of curiosity. When you're arrested, you basically have to, the first thing you're going to do is discard all of your illegal cards and then you move to the prison space. If you were arrested during your turn, um, you will also have to draw an event card under the, um, and that's just part of the arrested player's turn. Now, the prison is not connected to any of the other spaces on the map. The only way to move in or out is to be arrested or released. Now, if it's your turn and you're arrested, it's kind of interesting because uh, you will have to draw cards off of the interrogation deck. And basically, uh, the interrogation deck is going to make it so that you have to choose some of the options listed on those cards. And you have to choose them without discussion with the rest of the group meaning that it's a tough choice that you have to make alone, and you don't reveal to the rest of the group what is happening. It suffices to say, none of them are good. Okay. Now, oftentimes, um, by choosing one of those uh, effects on the conspirator card, that will also get you a release as well. So keep that in mind. You will, of course, have the opportunity to move around the map, and moving is important because you're going to have to go and find uh, other items that you need for your conspiracy. And you'll also be moving around to try and avoid attention, and that's about it for your action. There's a lot of additional complexity that goes along into, into everything that I've discussed so far. That's just kind of the, the 30,000 foot view to give you a rough idea of how the basic mechanics work. But there's a lot of little things that are happening during any given turn that can, you know, have huge implications on the game. So I'm looking at a picture of the board. So you use like tokens to cover up areas of the map that are, aren't in play at the moment? Exactly. Okay. And they all have stuff written on them. Is is this just actions you can do while you're there? Or? You mean the spaces themselves? Yeah. Yeah, all the spaces have different text on them, but those text effects only come into play once you have uh, revealed them and picked up the, the item from that space. Okay. There's going to come a point in the game where you are ready to attempt a plot. And the first thing you're going to need to confirm is that you have all the required elements listed on the, on the side of the plot card. Once you've confirmed that... Uh, you are going to need to make sure that your motivation is in the right place. And then and only then can you attempt the plot. And the way you do that is you build a dice pool. The first die in your pool is gained by meeting all the required elements to attempt a plot. There's also three types of optional elements that can increase a plot's chance of success by adding additional dice to your pool, and they can sometimes even remove that negative status effect that's on the dice. So 
the different items that go into the plot all have optional elements on them, and um, sometimes you can discard them for associated benefits. Some of the plots have optional elements based on your affiliation. So if you're a civilian, if you're with the Wehrmacht, you might have access to additional um, components to that plot. And finally, some of the plots have optional elements that are based on other conspirators sharing a space with you, meaning that you will be able to add more dice to your attempt to overcome the plot. Now, once you've built your dice pool, you have to determine your difficulty. Um, the difficulty is going to be determined by uh, Hitler's current military support. And that means that you don't always want to attempt all plots all the time. Some are going to work better when the military support is high. Some are going to work better when the military support is low. Based on the die roll, you'll have an opportunity to determine uh, to look at the difficulty level of it and determine whether or not you've had a success or a failure. So if you're successful, then, well, you know, you've done it. You've killed Hitler and the war is over. Um, unfortunately, most of the time, that's, that's kind of difficult to get to. So, Jonathan, how is the rule book at teaching you all this? The rule book is very straightforward and not particularly long. And the game also comes with a very, very handy double-sided uh, shortcut guide that just lays everything out in a very plain way. Uh, index, table of contents? Neither, but I didn't find myself needing it because the game is very linear in nature. And so the, the rule book starts at the beginning and gives to the end and then you know covers everything in between. So it's, it, it, it's a lot easier to find stuff in the rule book just due to the linear nature of the game. And uh, components-wise, I've seen a few pictures of things. This looks like one of those games that's a lot of like tokens and, and cards. and. So it's a, it's a ton of cards because you have a, a bunch of different decks. Yeah, it's an abstract game. That's, that's the word I was looking for. You've got uh, the seven decks for the events that go up top, and those have all the historical things that are happening uh, that can influence the, the events at hand. Then you've got the interrogation deck and then the... Um, I can't remember what the exact name is, but basically the deck that the uh, conspirators are pulling stuff off of. You get character sheets, which uh, are, are all very asymmetrical. All the characters are very different, have different uh, strengths or weaknesses. You get all the little map tiles that go on the map and are the things that you're going to need to be collecting. Uh, you get a bunch of tiles that represent the different uh, members of the uh, military power going around. And, of course, you get a bunch of blocks and cubes and pawns that um, let you track everything on the board. And finally, of course, the custom dice that are going to be used to determine uh, a bunch of different items in the game. What is the ideal player count for this game, would you say? Like, how many can it support, and is it... I, I mean, I guess most typically is the more the merrier, because most games function that way, but how does it how does it work out? Well, I mean, here's the thing. You can play it alone. It is one to five players, and it works really well alone as well. It works really well with five as well, because that is very interesting and very um it, it's it's because it is a cooperative game there's going to be a lot of table talk and a lot of discussion about how to best approach uh getting everything that you need to make one of these plots happen with that said i've played it alone and i've had a lot of fun with it is there anything off in the execution of the game uh not a thing the art design is very interesting uh it's a very stark board with interesting use of color and most importantly the gameplay itself there's tension everywhere it is one of the few times that I've been playing a board game and the tension has actually been palpable and has had an impact on everybody at the table because we're all sitting there 
concerned about what could pop up and how things could go wrong. It's it's uh, paranoia inducing in all the right ways. And if you want our noble and valiant and awesome listeners to know one last thing about this game, what would it be? Honestly, to me, this this is where you go when you've played Pandemic and you're looking for more. This is a co-op experience that really, truly generates a lot of interesting and good table talk and forces people to work together. And it ratches up the tension in amazing ways that that I, I can't think of many other board games that have done that for me. It's just fantastic in every way. And honestly, if you like co-op games, this is a must have. Well, that is Black Orchestra from Game Salute. Neat. OK, yeah. <laughs> I was not aware of that. Black Orchestra from Game Salute. Uh, I'm assuming it says it's 2016, so I'm assuming it's it's at FLGS's right now. I think it actually didn't come out until 2017. It got kind of popular and it got difficult to find a copy. I didn't find a copy until earlier this year, uh, but I think it's pretty readily available now. I saw a bunch of copies of BGG. Well, Robert, that brings us unfortunately to the end of episode 76 of the Forgot My Dice podcast. Once again. Join us on all of our digital domains. We love to chat with you. And before we finish everything out here, Robert, as always, any final thoughts? Yeah, we bought this s'mores snack mix at uh, at Costco. It's really damn good. I would highly recommend it to anybody. And it's on sale right now, I noticed. So hopefully it's still on sale by the time you hear this. But yeah, I'm pretty sure. I'm looking at the ingredients right now, and I don't see it listed. But I think uh, going against... uh, you know, FDA or whatever law, I'm pretty sure crack cocaine is one of these ingredients because you just can't oh, stop eating enough. it. You just got to sprinkle a little in there. Yeah, yeah, just just to kind of hook you because, man, I, I made the mistake of eating some during the break and, and uh, I'm going to have to edit a lot of crunching out of the beginning of the segment on my end because I was being bad. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Well then, Robert, there's only one last thing. Be excellent to one another and party on. Party on, Jonathan. And cue music. Actually, technically, the music came out several minutes ago. The music you heard in this podcast was intro by Elithiel. Additional music was provided by Brian Winkleman. Funding for the Forgot My Dice podcast was provided by our supporters on Patreon. Thank you 